Hey, everybody, this is Bernie Berman, and you are listening to Without Your Head. Welcome to the station of decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neal, and I'm joined by Michael Rowe, Deadshot on DC's Arrow, and he's here to talk about his new movie, Crown and Anchor. Very cool to have you here. Uh, thanks for having me, Neil. Appreciate it, man. Yeah. So it uh, premieres on Ju- uh, July 2nd on DVD and digital. So, uh, well, I guess, first of all, I'll give people an idea of what uh, Crown and Anchor is about. Well, it... Uh sort of follows these two estranged cousins um, who grew up in a small town in Newfoundland. And uh, they, once you see their uh, their family, you realize that they had it pretty rough growing up. Uh, the matriarch was an abusive, alcoholic, uh, petty criminal. So that forces the character that I play, James, to... Uh, who's kind of hates his father to become a cop and put his own dad in jail. Uh, meanwhile, he, he takes off after that moves away to the mainland to become to, to keep, you know, doing the cop thing. Uh, his cousin, Danny, who he grew up with and was super close with, he stays back. He kind of is still doing the petty crime thing, gets himself in a pile of trouble. Um, while having two kids and a wife, uh, my character comes home and his mom dies. Um, family kind of wants nothing to do with him. Um, but then James and Danny come back face to face and all hell breaks loose, pretty much. Yeah. So is there any similarities between you and uh, and your character, James? 
That's an interesting question, man. I mean, you got to find the parts of yourself that make you feel like the character. So everybody's got a bit of James in them. You know what I mean? You just got to figure out where it is. Um, I'd say uh, I grew up with four brothers in my family, and I was really close with them. And I didn't really seek out a lot of, like, I was a little antisocial because of that, because I had such a tight crew at home. I was kind of very to myself, very stoic, very quiet um, at school and out in public and stuff like that. So to be still and just kind of watch, I can definitely identify with that. And James, because James holds his cards pretty close to his chest. He doesn't give you much. Um, Also, you know, back in the day, growing up, being a teenager, getting into a bunch of shit, uh, I was definitely, you know, had a bad temper and stuff like that. Um, I could pop off pretty easily back then. Yeah. So, you know, a little bit, but I, well, if I got a problem, I deal with it. I kind of wear my heart on my sleeve a little bit more than James. So mm-hmm. definitely don't connect with that side of him, that side of n- uncomfortable showing any emotion. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm an actor, for God's sakes. you got to have <laughs> access to many different emotions. Yeah. James isn't just straight-faced during anything. Even before he attacks somebody, you don't even know that he's angry. He's just totally uncomfortable showing any type of emotion. He thinks it's weakness. Mm-hmm. Along those lines, I like that because uh, a lot of the movie you're playing where you can see the anger in you without like being overtly uh, violent. And you know, then mm-hmm. you eventually blow up. Actually, which, which is harder to play? Uh, someone where you're showing the emotion just like in your facial expressions or when you're uh, being actually violent? Well, I would say that less doing less uh, in front of a camera feels wrong. It feels like you're not doing anything, and that is very hard to do, to be more still and stoic in front of the camera. And, of course, if you were just completely deadpan and not having any real emotion <laughs> right. behind your eyes, it would be boring. So you've got to have the emotion and stuff it down deep. It's a really difficult thing to do. I didn't realize how difficult it would be to do. Um, I was really lucky that the writer and director was my brother, and I trusted I trust him so much that he was able to kind of push me harder and find the balance in there. Because, you know, if I if I was working with somebody else, maybe I wouldn't have trusted that it was coming across. You know what I mean? Because it felt right. like sometimes I was so still. I was just like, man, this is just going to be boring. Um, especially going from an action show like arrow or something like that where there's always kind of something big happening and this film is just you're so you're you're so still with some of these characters but that can be really powerful so Mm -hmm. it took a lot of trust for me to do it it was the most challenging thing i've ever done to be to be still and to have that emotion but not show any of it Mm -hmm. i found it very difficult so from my point of things, but then I would look at what, what the character of Danny in the movies played by Matt Wells. I would look at what he was doing and I would, I would say, my God, those are difficult scenes because he's just so all over the place and messy and so highly emotional. You know what I mean? So yeah. when I was in my headspace, I viewed what he was doing as really difficult. When he was in that headspace, he said that he found what I was doing to seem very difficult. So, you know, we just, we stayed, we tried to stay in it. Um, yeah. And, you know, the, I think uh, I maybe had my doubts when we were filming it, but looking at it back, it had to, absolutely had to be that way, and I'm really proud of the result. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you both uh, were excellent. It was a nice, uh, uh, you know, counterbalance, I guess, two different uh, contrasts between the characters, and 
what was he like to actually to work with when you're doing scenes together? Um, well, me and Matt are best friends in real life. We played okay. in a punk rock band for many years together. He was the singer, I was the drummer. So this oh. was getting the band back together in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so being at odds with each other, like there's a there's a scene where they really, you know, there's only one scene where they truly come together and have it out. And so that day on set was pretty uncomfortable and I wouldn't talk to him and he he uh felt that and uh <laughs> got pretty tense whether the cameras were on us or not. And it's the first time I can ever remember being like like that. Like the lines kinda got blurred between, you know, uh reality and, and fantasy there. Um so it was difficult. And it t- it actually took us a couple of days to get over it. You know what I mean? Like it took yeah. until the film was kind of done for us to like be like, man, one day that was weird, and we kind of <laughs> had to talk about it. And yeah. and um, so yeah, it it was it was kind of difficult. But you know, I, I just really had you're watching these two guys and their journey through the movie, but they really only come together in that one scene, and all hell breaks loose. And that was a really difficult day of filming. It was like fight scenes and effects and choreography and a lot of emotion and you know all that kind of just happened in one day of filming so we knew it was coming and we were kind of like all freaked out like oh my god how is this going to go especially my brother Andrew who who directed the film yeah he's really nervous about doing it now I was just coming out of a big time action project so I was totally new you know I was comfortable in the in the fighting and the the Mm -hmm. violence but we had kids on set too for that so I mean it was just like something just made it dangerous and sometimes when there's some real danger there and everybody feels like that then sometimes that comes across on the camera and, and I feel yeah like it did that's like that to the atmosphere yeah definitely. yeah exactly it's like yeah. very little acting needed mm-hmm. there's a lot of tension uh, a lot of tension throughout the whole movie especially building up to that to that scene yeah so, so the the punk i uh, said you uh because i read this about you too that you were in a punk band i didn't realize it was with um it was with the uh, the other actor in the movie, uh, Matt Wells. Um, did you have any uh, input then in the in the punk music in the movie? And did you know that they were going to use uh, a punk soundtrack um, when you're making the movie? Absolutely. Um, you know this this project is very personal to us all, and it was a really um, great uh, opportunity to work with uh, you know people that I love and trust and who I think are really talented people in the industry. You know, after after doing other projects, coming back around and working with my best friend and my little brother, it was a true collaborative effort. So, he, you know, Andrew would would send me songs all the time to see what I thought about it, and I'd send him songs, and, you know, he'd say, well, what do you think, uh, you know, my character grew up on straight-edge hardcore music, but what is he listening to now? And so I said, well, I saw this band called Horror who opened up for Face No More when I saw him in L.A. last month, and I think that maybe he'd be listening to something like that. And then Horror agreed to be on the soundtrack. So, you know, it was really fun to to tweak all that stuff. And, you know, I probably couldn't do that if it was get somebody different directing the film, sure. but I could call my brother night or day, and I'm so comfortable and that element of trust there to just riff on stuff and, and find it together, you know, it was just a really good feeling. I can't wait to do it again. It, it just brought it all to a whole other level. Yeah. I would think, uh, maybe you can, uh, you know, talk about this. Does that help uh, to get into the character if you know the music that's going to be playing? Because I would think that would help you, you know, 
interact with the music that is going to play and uh, just get into that mindset of what how that music makes you feel. Absolutely. I mean, the music is just an extension of his personality and his history. So when you know exactly where this guy is coming from, and it was very close to, you know, how I grew up. Like music was everything to me as a as a as a young person. Like all I wanted to do was play in a band and play music and listen to music. Like kind of saved me in a lot of ways. Um, and it definitely did that for the character James in the movie that he had such a shitty dad and a crappy home life that he, he was just all in the music and the lifestyle and was his therapy, you know what I mean? And so, yeah, I, it's really important and made me understand him a lot more. Now I didn't play straight edge hardcore music and I didn't really start listening to that until years later. Um, but my brother who directed it, he was in the straight edge hardcore scene and he was a drummer in a hardcore band. So that was very personal to him. So that was sort of an element of my brother in the James character. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that, uh, maybe he put it in there because he knew I would identify it because he knows me so well, you know, I never knew when he was sort of pulling strings or, you know, kind of working me without without saying it, you know what I mean? He was a little bit of a puppet master and uh, he was really good at it. <laughs> yeah. So he got a good performance out of me because he knows me so well. So what drew you to punk music? Cause I think it works in the movie cause it's kind of like, uh, it feels like an outlet for, for like energy that could be used for violence, but instead, you know, it's, uh, used in the music. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what resonated with me was that it was just, during a time when you weren't inundated with 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 stuff on the internet, you know, I found this this type of music and I was angry at the time maybe or just a, a energetic and 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 had a lot so much energy and just liked the hardness of it and the 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 adrenalized sort of part of it. But when I started playing music, it was also very challenging to play so fast and I was, you know, always about just this sprinting towards things, running in head first and Punk music was the was the the version of that for me when it came to drumming, and then you just let loose, and I felt like I was turning into the Incredible Hulk, you know, like you're just raging and, and experiencing every emotion all at once while you're playing. So, I mean, I can't really explain it, but it was it was a huge thing. I I listen to all types of music. My dad used to play in a bluegrass band. My 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 brother Dave played in a gypsy jazz band. Like I love all that kind of music too. I grew up first first live show I ever went to was the Beach Boys. So, you know, I I didn't just mm -hmm. uh you know, like like the James character in the film, I wasn't just pigeonholed into one type of music, but it was what inspired me to make my own music. Maybe because it was also, you know, accessible. You don't need to be the best musician. You just need to have the the biggest balls to get on stage and play punk music and smash a beer bottle over your head. You know what I mean? Right. I loved the danger and the and the just just go just get up and go for it kind of attitude. And also, you know, the lyrics in a lot of these punk bands are like, you know, don't just fall in line. Like, ask questions, figure out why, do your own thing. Don't don't be a sheep, don't follow the herd, all that stuff. And that really resonated with me and still does. Yeah. Now, since you said earlier that you were, uh, since you were close with your brothers, you were kind of um, um, antisocial. So did, do you think uh, being in the band helped you then become an actor later since you were on stage performing in front of people? Yep, absolutely, man. Um, 
my band had to like we we would jam in my basement. They had to kind of trick me into playing my first show, and I was like, you know, facing a major fear for me because I was kind of like, you know, very to myself kind of dude. Didn't want the whole room looking at me. Um, but once I got up on the stage and faced that fear, I got off the stage feeling like completely empowered and 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 so good about myself that I couldn't wait to do it again. And then that was just the start of, it opened something in me. And then I started to, you know, uh, make a mental list of things that I was afraid of. And, and, uh, you know, as a late teenager and early twenties, I started to do crazy stuff. I want to jump out of airplanes, bungee jump, go swimming with sharks. Um, and then eventually acting was the same thing. It was like, well, I'm ultimately afraid to put my, my heart out there and, and my vulnerabilities. And so that was just the next phase of it. And then I didn't even have a band around me. Then I was just the lone wolf, right? Instead of having the pack yeah. of wolves, it was just me. So that was facing my ultimate fear, going it alone. And so, yeah, the, the band started all that for me and um, still a work in progress. Mm-hmm. In a way, does that help with the acting? Uh, because, um, you have a you you have the natural and like inherent fear of uh, you know being in front of a crowd, so that would help. I think so. Uh, in a I way, think like so. I think that, yeah, I I think that if someone doesn't have a healthy fear of it, it is that extra layer isn't there when you watch somebody. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's it brings somebody to life. It puts a puts a spark behind their eye if they're if they're overcoming something. So it's just an extra level to the character um, that is just innate in people to see it, whether they can see it happening or not. It just makes somebody interesting to watch. So I do think that that it helps if somebody's just a complete narcissist and arrogant and just has no fear and just gives up and does it. Sometimes it can be a bit boring, even if they had yeah. said the words properly and, you know, had the right flexion of emotion on their face. There's just not that extra little spark of something there that uh, makes, makes you want to see more. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so Andrew, your brother who uh, wrote and directed this, did he write the character for you? Um, the, the Andrew took over this, script at a certain point and rewrote it originally matt wells was working on a script and i was going to play danny and matt was going to play james and after a while we decided let's switch roles and then andrew took it over and then he wrote and tweaked the characters specifically for myself and matt so yes when he nuanced it and put like the hardcore uh, straight edge thing in there and the way uh, I would dress and the, all these sort of little things about me not having a girlfriend for a real long time and, and stuff like that. Like he, uh, he was poking at certain parts of me that he, that he knew me well enough to, to write specifically for that and challenge me in these sort of places. Mm-hmm. So it really was, uh, I know you said this earlier, you know, a bunch of people that all, you know, your best friend, your brother, but uh, you know, I didn't know that Matt also was, you know, uh, the guy that kind of came up with the original concept. So I would assume Absolutely. then it's, it's a special project for you since it's, uh, you know, people that are so close to you uh, creating it. Yeah, man, it, uh, it's a blessing and a curse. I don't, you know, I would, I would work with these guys every day creating uh-huh. something. 
Uh, Matt is so uh, such a hard worker and so important in my life. You know, whether it was in the band or what he's doing now, he's uh, he always blows me away in his commitment to stuff and and uh, you know he's he's a really good dude and I've known him for more than half my life. I've known my little brother my whole life, and he is one of the most talented writers and directors on the go. Um, and I didn't realize that because he challenged me to start acting very early in my career. And I was doing, you know, switching from music over to acting and doing short films with him. And so I took him for granted a little bit. And then I started working in the industry mm-hmm. and I was like, wow, my brother is really talented. After I started reading everybody else's scripts and being around other people, I'm like, yeah, they're good. But my, there's something special about, about uh little brother, you know what I mean? And I, I couldn't wait to have the opportunity opportunity to do it on a bigger level with those guys and now even though it was very difficult to do the movie because we had a very small budget these guys are so dedicated that it looks you know we pull it off like it feels like a victory we did so much with so little and i love that 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 attitude reminds me of what i used to do with the band it reminds me of how i like to attack life and i just want to keep doing it with these guys so i can't wait to see what we get to do next together Mm -hmm. You mentioned, uh, you know, a lot of the little nuances like uh, the music listed to the clothes you wear, a uh, relationship with uh, your, your ex in the movie. So, mm-hmm. um, so, and when you're watching, it's clear that everyone involved has, has uh, a backstory and, and history together. So do you yeah. all get together like and talk about that so you know how to like uh, not just play your own character, but how you interact with the other characters? Yeah, I mean, again, it's one of the great things about being so close to these guys is that there's a lot of trust there and you know um creativity doesn't work on a schedule so even if it's in the middle of the night or some random moment i can text or call these guys and talk about the weirdest idea and it might turn into something you know because that's how this type of creative energy works so there was just no rules and no limits and and no barriers when it came to that stuff. And so we were able to flush it out a lot better, I feel. And, um, you know, it's, uh, with me and Andrew, it kept going through the filming process, but with me and Matt, because we were sort of, you know, opposites and at odds in the film, once we started filming, me and him sort of took a step back from each other, which also felt very weird, but worked very well for what we were going for. And uh, I don't know if we ever talked about that, but I might have mentioned it like once it starts filming. Yeah. I'll see you. I'll see you. I'll see you in 15 days. You right. know what I mean? Because, uh, you know, I my character's straight edge, so I stopped drinking for it. I just I wanted to wanted to just sort of people trusted in us to to to, to deliver, a, a, you know, this project. Um, we did it with private money, private investors and didn't want to let them down. So I really sort of went all in. Um, as yeah. did everybody. Everybody went way above and beyond, um, mm-hmm. you know, their pay grade for this. And so, yeah, it, it was uh, it was one of the most difficult things that I've ever done. But um, I put my heart and soul into it, and was proud of the results. Yeah, it definitely comes through. I always think, even um, as the audience, if they're not aware of all the every every backstory of all the characters. If if they if the uh, actors like come up with that or it's there, 
it comes through in the story you're watching. It just adds like a realism and a more of an, a natural feel, I think, to the performances. Yeah, and and certain things we didn't have to act like we filmed it in St. John's, Newfoundland. That's where I grow up. I, mm-hmm. I I hadn't been back there ever to work or film anything. I hadn't been back there for that long since I left. You know, as a as a teenager with my band and moved away from home. So it, it, you know, the stuff like a a man returning home, mm-hmm. and the, and the place being not the way he left it. <laughs> that's just, that's just the way it was. I mean, it was personally like that for me. The, I didn't need to think about how to play that. You know what I mean? So uh, all that stuff was just that, what you're talking about, the nuances and the, the layers and the stuff that were there. We, I don't know if we constructed it that way, but it certainly helped yeah. to, uh, to have it be organic. Mm-hmm. Did you stick to the straight edge after the movie? Or did, or, I'm not like saying you're alcoholic, or anything, but did you, uh, <laughs> did, you, did you drink again after uh, you finished making the movie? Yeah, I had quite a lot of champagne on the last day of filming, actually. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, I'm not a I'm not a huge drinker. Sure. I save it for vacations and you know Christmas time with my family and stuff like that. Yeah. So I definitely am not straight edge. My brother Andrew was he grew up straight edge, and it was very interesting for me to go straight edge, or you know not straight edge, but go totally clean and have to return to Newfoundland and be bumping into friends I grew up with who hadn't seen me in years and want to buy right. me a drink and me yeah. say no, and then have them look at me <laughs> sideways like, oh, you know, you get that sort of, why? And you can't really explain it. Uh-huh. And then, you know, you get, kind of get this look from people like, you think you're better than me? Oh, you don't drink and this and that. And I'm like, oh, man, that's what my little brother had to grow up with, you know, the whole <laughs> right. time he was straight edge. Now, he's not straight edge anymore, but he was for, you know, a good chunk of his life. Mm-hmm. So he was he was committed to it. He played a straight edge hardcore band and all his friends were straight edge and stuff like that. And people always did sort of judge him when he said he didn't drink. And I, I always kind of saw it, but I didn't think about it. You know what I mean? And then to, to be in that situation, I had a lot more respect for him. Yeah. Yeah. I've noticed that, um, also with, uh, with like vegans, cause people always like make memes and stuff about vegans saying that like they're always forcing on other people. But, I know a lot of uh, vegans uh, in, in like the Bo- in Boston up uh, uh, like people who make movies or a lot of them are vegans and none of them ever push it uh, push it on anybody. It's always like they get a bad rap. I think same thing with people who are straight edge. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the the other person assumes that they're on a high horse and they start to talk like they are, but the person who is the vegan or is the straight edge person is not doing anything but just sticking to what they want to do and then the other person sort of finishes their sentences for them you know what i mean yeah yeah so a big part of the movie is um the fighting uh you're fighting your demons and um you know alcohol and drugs and and other things from your past and it doesn't just affect you but affects uh you know your whole family and all your relationships and everyone around you Mm mm-hmm I like that. I, uh, I like that. I think that you know the there's a pattern of of violence and abuse throughout the family. Um, it happened with the cousin Danny in a bit of a different way, but he's involved in the same culture. And it happened with my character, specifically with his father. And so it's about trying to break that cycle. You know what I mean? Because you can see parts of James where it's like, oh my God, he's 
he's worried he's becoming his dad. And from the outside in, he just might be his dad, you know, it's, which is his worst fear. So he thinks he has his life set up with these like moral standards of, well, my dad drank, so I won't drink. And my dad was abusive and, and to my mom and I had to watch him beat her up every day. So I won't even have a wife, you know? And so he, he thinks he can set up these rules for himself so that he won't fall in the trap of becoming his father. But he still has this, this, this thing at his core that just leaks out. Even if he's a police officer, he's supposed to be doing good. He's, you know, he's super over the top violent and he's, he, he's always getting suspended because he's, he's breaking the rules and, and, you know, being that guy that he doesn't want to be. So some of these things, just because you set up your life to be a good person doesn't mean you are a good person. He's just sort of pushing everybody else away so they don't see who he truly is. And that, that doesn't get the job done. He has to go home and go through all this stuff and then truly see himself for what he is in order to move on. And I think that you don't spend enough time with the characters to really see where they end up, but at least you get to see the moments of why they are the way they are, and you get to see the characters discover oh, I guess this is why I, I am the way I am. And then it at least gives them a chance once the movie ends of what they go on to do with that information. And that, that's important because you need to realize it before you can do anything about it, right? So James was hiding from himself. And once he, you know, as the, as the, as the audience sees why he is the way he is, he's also discovering exactly the same amount of information. And so then he's able to maybe do something about it from that point on. Mm -hmm. And he, and he said a different kind of abuse with Danny's character, obviously is uh, molested as a child. And uh, that's hard to, um, to well, obviously horrible deal with in real life, but it's hard to deal with you think even in a movie and um, especially for a male character, even an actor, I think to play that male character, because there is a, um, unfortunately like a taboo where like a uh, people are, like if a, if a male if a male is molested as a child, people think of him as like they must be gay or something, which is unfortunate. But you know, um, it's just the way, the way society is. Yeah, absolutely, man. And it was uh, there was a big scandal in Newfoundland at an orphanage called Mount Cashel uh, when Matt and I were were growing up there, and you know everybody knew somebody mm -hmm. um, who was was linked to it in some way so it kind of ran deep through the community and um that was one of the reasons why it was important for us to put it in the film mm -hmm. now at the end there it says uh in memory of uh jean marie uh, lasalle uh who who is that that is uh matt's grandmother you see when matt originally started developing the story it's actually loosely based on his family his grandfather was kind of a, his name was gus and he was kind of like james's father he was into some shady stuff. He was a, an alcoholic. He was abusive to his wife and uh, his kids. And Matt's mom was kind of the James character. And she broke the cycle and helped her brothers, but they were all sort of Danny's and they were, all fell into the same um, cycles of, of abuse and um, addiction and things like that. So this was loosely based on Matt's real life family um and so that was his grandmother had just passed away uh a couple of years before we made the film and uh, it was dedicated to her oh well, that's very nice and, um, i'm sorry about that she passed away 
I yeah. lost my grandmother last year. I was very close to uh, around uh, Halloween. She was 94, but yeah. Uh, okay. So, uh, did have you watched a movie with an audience? Did it do like festivals or anything? Yeah, we did a couple of festivals. Um, we actually, uh, we did a, a little theater run as well, and um, went to maybe a half dozen different, you know, bigger theater shows to watch it with a full audience. It was really interesting. You get different reactions. The thing that surprised me the most was how how much laughter it got. I guess for such an, you know, real life is the same way. Things get can only get so tense. Uh, and then you got characters like Uncle Doug and stuff like that in the movie. And when they show up, people just want to laugh because they want to sort of decompress all the stress of the other scenes that they've been forced to watch. So um, it always surprised me which places audiences would laugh at and how much comedy was in between all these really heavy, all the heavy subject matter in the film, you know? Yeah. So uh, when you watch a movie with, a, with an audience, um, what's that experience like? Cause I assume it's both, uh, it would be, uh, I don't know, necessarily fun is the right word, but, uh, it's <laughs> thrilling or whatever. But it would also, I would be nervous, I guess, to watch myself uh, on the screen. Yeah, it's a, it's a process, man. Like, I couldn't watch the movie. The first time I watched it, I, I was just cringing at it. It was so stressful to me, but that wasn't with an audience. Then uh, maybe the first time with an audience, uh, it's just, you just, I was just studying it too much, you know what I mean? And then and, and thinking, like, well, maybe I should have done that, or I wish we shot that different, or I don't like that line compared to the other line that we were thinking about using in there. But then... After a couple of viewings, you know, that all just goes away and you just sort of, you know, it's not going to end any different. And, and you just, you, you do spend most of the time paying attention to the audience because you really are intrigued by their reaction. And I've seen things as much as like someone collecting their gear to leave the theater because it got too much. Like when they're talking about the Danny molestation and they're yeah. about to, you know, come to blows in the kitchen and, and he, this person is collecting his things about to leave. He's going, Oh God, no, Oh God. And, and then the, the next part happens and he puts the stuff down and sits back down and finishes the movie. So like stuff <laughs> like that is just so interesting to me. Like that to me, to get to, to make someone so uncomfortable, they want to walk out. Like that is kind of what we were, that makes me feel good. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Even if the person doesn't want to feel like that, if you can make something to make them feel mm-hmm. that much of anything, it was an unpleasant emotion. Mm-hmm. It's tough to do. So, yeah. That was the most fun for me. And I wanted, I wanted people to walk out. I wanted to someone to, to, to actually like leave the theater because they were like, oh, God, I can't take it. <laughs> yeah. I always probably should bring up the show because people will ask sometimes why I like some movies that aren't necessarily positive. Uh, like I like, uh, some weird movies like Solo, uh, 120 days of Sodom, stuff like that. And, uh, it's, I think any movie that, that makes you feel emotion of any kind, even if it's negative emotion is, is positive. It, it will not just be positive, but it's something. Yeah. One of my biggest pet peeves is when people say, Oh no, that movie, I hated that movie, man. It made me feel terrible. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, they were like, that's a terrible movie. Made me feel bad. I'm like, well, that's what it, it was trying to make you feel like that. Right. So it's actually a brilliant movie. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to force somebody to feel like that. So just because you don't want to watch it again, there's so many movies that I completely I love, but I don't want to watch it again anytime soon. 
I don't choose. So some people watch things for escapism, and I get that. But that's one of the things that motivated us to try to make this film the way we did was because we like films like that. And it's harder to find films like that. So it's a bit of a nod to like 90s indie films Mm -hmm. um, that have kind of gone by the wayside. Um, You know, we live in the time of like huge mega blockbuster um, that's total escapism. And it's, you know, sometimes you go to these movies, these equivalents of just watching fireworks. You just... You, you don't even know what's happening for these giant, you know, action uh-huh. scenes. And uh, we did the opposite because yeah. we love movies like that. And I was inspired by movies like that. And yeah. so, yeah, I'm with you, man. You don't have to feel good leaving a movie. You can feel terrible. Yeah. But it, sometimes that makes you still think about the movie, you mm-hmm. know, and that, that's the win. The win is to ponder the movie and be left with questions and then think about what would you do if you were in that situation, mm-hmm. you know, because maybe you hate that guy for making that decision. So what would you do, you know, and, and then makes yeah. you learn, learn, learn a little bit about life and learn a bit, little bit about yourself. And that that's, gives, it gives you a chance to inspire something in somebody. Yeah. So I agree. Yeah. I agree. 100%. Oddly enough, I just put it on my Facebook earlier and some people disagree, but it was whenever I hear the term popcorn film, I always, get like annoyed and think oh, that must be a terrible movie because it's usually like just, I know that why it's used. It is used this for an escape as a movie, but uh, that kind of movie really usually doesn't interest me. I mean, there's few, but there's exceptions of course, but uh, I would rather watch something that, that I, that I'm emotionally invested in. Yeah. I'm with you, man. And I think the challenge is to do both. Yeah. Uh, not, sure. not make the popcorn, big budget film, um, not to make it sort of, by uh, mathematically, like for certain demographic or have the story hit certain beats at a certain point, like they've gotten too formulaic. And that's why I'm ultimately bored by a lot of them, you mm-hmm. know, because they're not risky or pushing the art form forward or trying something different because, you know, they're just trying to appeal to too wide of a demographic or, or something. I don't really yeah. know, but Hollywood's in a weird place right now. And I get it. It's a business. And you invest that much into a movie, you got to make it all back and then some. Um, so you don't want to risk your money. You don't want to gamble with a movie to potentially not make it. If it doesn't work, you're screwed. But a lot of the times they're doing it by this formula and doing it the way that they think is going to work. And now they're just flopping because people are kind of like sick of seeing the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. So I think we're just going through a phase. And now I think the key is to try to do both, try to have a challenging movie, trying to have some real gritty raw life in there and have that sort of, you know, hero you can root for or the escapism that, that you feel and maybe, you know, the victory at the end, but not, that typical wrapped up in a nice little bow, you know what I mean? Happy ending type thing. So I think that's the, that's the challenge that lays ahead. And, uh, you know, that, that'll hopefully be the next yeah. phase of what people are trying to achieve through filmmaking. Yeah. I, I mean, um, in a lot of movies, uh, even before my day, like, like Jaws is considered like the big, um, the the first like big summer blockbuster. And obviously it's got the big shark and all that stuff, but it's also a great movie with great performances and, and, you know, the three male characters are, are, are really the heart of the movie. Without them, if you just had the shark, it wouldn't it wouldn't have been the same movie. Yeah, but the thing about summer blockbusters back then in a movie like that is they didn't know it was going to be a summer blockbuster. That's true. They didn't go out to make a summer blockbuster, right? Exactly. Now yeah. they're, like, predicting 
right now which movie is going to be the 2021 summer blockbuster. That's the friggin' problem. Yeah. Just make your movie, tell the story, be honest, put your heart and soul in it. And if it, if other people connect with it, that's fine. Like, again, I, I bring it all back to playing music and writing songs. You can't write a song to try to please your audience. You got to write something that you like first. Mm-hmm. And then if other people dig it, that's awesome. If it becomes a hit song, wow, even better. But I didn't grow up liking pop music and I don't like, you know, most pop anything. So... Mm-hmm. I think you kind of missed the point. You make art for yourself first, and then you give it away. And if you make it honest, then other people will connect to it, and then it will become a success. But mm-hmm. you can't always predict it. That kind of can, will most times ruin it. Yeah. So uh, Crown and Anchors coming out uh, July 2nd on uh, DVD and uh, on Video Demand Digital. Uh, how important is uh, Video on Demand to uh, independent uh, films today? I think it's the future. I think it's, you know... The way people choose to watch things, um, it's just difficult to promote it. That's the most difficult for an indie anything, um, to let people know that it is there. I mean, your favorite pr- movie and my favorite movie, I probably never will even know it exists because you didn't come across your path because it's just, we also live in, a, in an age where there's all, so many things being mm-hmm. made. Um, so I think to get it on a digital platform is very important. Now it's just to figure out how to let people know that it is there and that it might be something that they want to watch. Yeah. Along those lines, I was thinking the other day, cause it's interesting. Like when I grew up, you know, it was like, you know, I don't know, five channels or whatever. So I saw multiple, I would see movies. I really didn't even like like multiple times just cause they were, it was like, oh, <laughs> they were just on and you wouldn't watch something. But now, like, you don't even get to see everything you might want to like because there, you know, there's non, there's, there's so much that you could possibly watch. I know, man. My, how times have changed, hey? Now yeah. you're just looking. You're looking for something. And a lot of times I think I want to watch it. I get halfway through. I'm like, I don't want to invest my time in this. You know, I don't <laughs> like it. Uh-huh. Something on Netflix that you think you might like or, you know, something that was recommended to you. Um, but yeah, I miss those days, dude. Like I've probably watched the movie back to the future 50 times. I've probably <laughs> right. seen the Goonies like 10 times uh-huh. and I can still watch them. And yeah. you know what? It's the mark of a really good movie, man. I watched these movies and I've seen them so much, but a part of me thinks that the characters might make a different choice this time. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you, yeah. maybe they won't get themselves <laughs> in that same predicament. And that is truly the mark of a great movie. I think that back to the future might be the most well-crafted movie and again, I don't think they thought, they thought it was going to be a success at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, look at the legacy that that movie left. Yeah, definitely. So I, I have to ask, because uh, when I mentioned you're on, people you know, uh, uh, brought up uh, Deadshot. So how, how did you mm-hmm. get the role of Deadshot in Arrow? Um, well, like I said, when I uh, transitioned from being in a band to whatever I was going to do next after my band broke up, uh, my younger brother, Andrew, was just getting into filmmaking. He was a big film buff when we were growing up. He got me to sort of invested in watching movies a bit of a different way, and he turned me on to a lot of really good films that I never would have come across on my own. But he wanted to try to start making films, so he moved from the East Coast to the West Coast of Canada. My band broke up. I was on the East Coast. I moved out West to help him uh, pursue that. Uh, he just didn't know many actors, so I had to start acting. We all did. He was acting in them as well. And um, eventually, 
I saw that we were getting better. We had a couple short films that did well in uh, festivals. And I went to, you know, just a neighborhood theater, not theater school, but like a scene study group where you would, you would perform a scene from a film or a play live every week and um, sort of, you know, gave me some some tools, I guess, to, to be able to break down scenes and, and the acting coach also said, you're going to play bad guys in stuff. And I was like, what are you talking about, man? I make comedy short films with my brother. And he was like, no, yeah, that face, you're going to end up playing, you know, the husband who beats up his wife or the <laughs> this or the that. And I was like, you're wrong, man. I'm like yeah. the goofy guy and the, 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 the dumb jock or whatever. And he was right. You know, I finally got an agent. And I think it was my second or third audition I went into for a new show called Arrow hadn't been, you know, they're, they're only filming uh, episode three is the first one that I showed up in. So they hadn't aired yet. I didn't know what it was about. They said I was playing an army sniper for the audition. And uh, I went in and I did it. And then I got a call back and I did it for the director of the episode. And the last thing he asked me was, do I have any tattoos? And I said, no. And then I went out, and the other guy was about to go in an audition was full of tattoos. And I was like, God damn it, they wanted tattoos. I'm not going to get this. <laughs> uh-huh. But then they ended up giving me the call. I got the role. I went in to get fit for uh, wardrobe. And I'm walking through the set as they're like filming episode two uh, to get fit for my gear. And everybody's calling me Deadshot. And I'm like, oh, you got the wrong guy, man. I'm playing Finn, uh, Army Sniper. And they're like, oh, they haven't told you yet. They haven't told you. I'm like, what are they talking about? And then I get into the office and they throw a bunch of Suicide Squad comics at me and show me the the eyepiece and the guns. And I was just, I thought they were, I thought they were messing with me. Um, but it turned out to, you know, be yeah. actually be dead shot. And it was very cool, man. You, you weren't familiar with, uh, with the character before? I wasn't really a fan of uh, of the character. I, I I was more into Marvel comics as a kid, um, but my my brother Chris was into DC, so I'd definitely seen you know seen mm-hmm. pictures. I knew of the guy, but I, I can't say that I had read any comics with Deadshot in it before I got the gig. Yeah. yeah. Um, but still, to uh, be told that you're going to be playing a supervillain. Yeah, definitely. Is pretty pretty good uh yeah, pretty good little gift especially to hide it from you and then learn yeah, about right. it that way yeah uh it was pretty special man and uh i'll always have a soft spot for deadshot yeah uh, what was steven amell like uh steven amell who uh, also uh gets who's done some wrestling pro wrestling which is, is weird yeah <laughs> yeah he's a big fan of wrestling and yeah. um he's talented at you know doing fight scenes and stunts and stuff like that kind of felt bad for the guy they 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 really used him a lot in the first season and uh you know those guys everybody in that crew put their heart and soul into the action scenes because that's really what makes the show special so a lot of people you know by the end of this first season you could see we're getting sort of uh tired and beaten up and stuff like that and uh to, to film 23 episodes of you know Mm-hmm. athletic putting your body on the line kind of things you got my respect it's really hard to do i mean i would come in three episodes per season you know so i'd have lots of time to heal up in between if i sort of tweaked anything or got got beat up uh but 
yeah, he's a trooper, man. He's a warrior, and he's he's built for it. That's for sure. And mm-hmm. you know, since you mentioned the not having the tattoos, how long of a process is that to get the tattoos on for Crown and Anchor? Um, for Crown and Anchor, well, luckily I had the Deadshot thing because he tattoos the names of his victims on his body. So uh-huh. I uh, would go through maybe an hour, hour and a half of prep in the makeup chair um, to get the tattoos on. And then I got to design my own tattoos for Crown and Anchor, and I knew how to apply oh. them and everything. So um, I would, I found out if I could uh, not get a shower, I could keep them on for two days. So I'd only okay. shower every second day uh-huh. and just touch up the tattoos so that I wouldn't have to take an hour or two sure. to get them all applied. Yeah. yeah. So you can sleep and they won't come off. But okay. if you get them wet, they'll start to flake off. All right. Fair enough. So you uh, you plan on working again with your brother? Making movies? Yeah, man. That's all I want to do now. It was so fun and gratifying to to build this thing together, you know, with people that I care about and trust. And like I said, who are definitely the most talented people that I've been around uh, is a blessing and a curse because all I want to do now is do it again. It, uh, we need to figure out, we, we've been developing a bunch of projects. We need to figure out what we're going to do next and how we're going to do it. But, uh, we're just getting started. This is, this is a team that works really well together, has each other's back and, um, is so committed to things that they do that I, I feel like, uh, these guys are, are capable of really great things. And, uh, yeah, keep an eye out, man. We're, we'll have something else coming out eventually. Cool. I really dug a Crown and Anchor. People will uh, check it out. And uh, how? Yeah, I hope to check it out too. Can and you I'm follow really you uh, Crown and Anchor? Yeah, no, I really liked it a lot. So, uh, and I thought uh, uh, both you and Matt were great in the movie. The um, cool. uh, can, how, can you follow? Is, does Crown and Anchor have any social media? They have a website. Are they on uh, Facebook or Twitter or anything? Yeah, everything. There's a uh, Crown and Anchor film. I think is uh it might be crown and anchor dot film or something like that, but they're they're on uh Twitter, uh Facebook and Instagram. Mm-hmm. And how about yourself? And if you, you go follow- I'm 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 Captain underscore Rowe. Okay. For Twitter and Instagram and also just Michael Rowe on Facebook. And if you go on my page then you'll see some Crown and Anchor links and so you'll be able to find uh, their account off of my account. All right. Very cool. Well, I appreciate you coming on. It's been a lot of fun to talk to you. Awesome. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate yeah. it. Thanks. Have a, have a good rest of the day. Okay. You too. See you later. Bye. Bye.
Welcome to the station of decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neil. And that would make me terrible Troy. And a big thanks to Michael Rowe, Deadshot of DC's Arrow and The Flash. Talking about his new film, Crown and Anchor, which is very cool. I dug it. That's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, very sweet. If you guys want to call in tonight, it is 508-413-3144, or you can Skype without your head. Uh, new music of the month here, Michael Trapp. Big thanks to him. Nice. And if you didn't notice, because uh, uh, last week uh, we had to reschedule, but the podcast is up with Daryl Ferrucci, who played Fluffy the Crate Monster in one of my all-time favorite Horror films and one of my all-time favorite films, Creep Show. Nice, very, very good. Cool. I'll have to take a listen. Yeah, so See he played. Everything is he played uh, Fluffy. He also played Jordy in the final scene of the Lonely Death of Jordy Verrill. Oh, okay. When and he's he all all, uh, all grassy and everything. Yes, when he's completely green. Nice. And he also worked on the whole movie uh, in the makeup and special effects department. Nice. That's so pretty awesome. Yes. Yeah. So it's stories for everything. I bet it. And work with Tom Savini on The Prowler and The Burning. Nice. He's even working on the classic film, Chud. Oh, that's awesome. So this guy's been in some of your faves, then, boss. Exactly. Exactly. Good man. Very, very nice guy, too. Oh, very good. Like to hear stuff like that. Yeah. So we have uh, there's a few um, trailers that popped up, <coughs> popped up recently. I'd like to talk about. And the first one is the Banana Splits movie. Wow, just wow. That's all I can say about that one. Right now, normally if I said let's talk about Banana Splits here and without your head, people think, "What the fuck, nasty deal." That does not seem very horrifying. Well, until I start singing the theme song. Very true. Very true. But they made a horror movie about the banana splits, and it's about the actual show. So it's not like we're in the banana splits world, and now it's horror. It's like <laughs> people are going to go see a banana splits, uh, you know, the making a, a live performance. Uh, you're on the set and live audience of Banana Splits and all hell breaks loose. Which is just what what a cool like concept. Yeah, yeah. Because when I first heard it, I was like, that's weird. They're just gonna <laughs> now we're just gonna do banana splits and now it's horror. Yep, I was the same way. I was like, geez, I, I don't see how those two like really coexist. Yeah. But after yeah. watching the trailer, I'm I'm kinda I'm definitely looking forward to it. I am too. I am too. It's uh, the trailer looked awesome. <laughs> I know my man Mitten, our our boy Mitten. He, he says that he thinks it's going to be awesome or awful, but I, I'm I'm leaning towards awesome. Yeah, I do. I am too. I, I am too, and I, I loved uh, loved the old Banana Split show. I don't know if that's a plus or a minus when it comes to this one. Uh. Yeah, looking pretty sweet. Looking pretty sweet. By the way, so I do want to say this. I, you know, when I heard the idea, like I mentioned earlier, I thought, "Wow, that sounds bad." But I saw the trailer and I'm changing my mind. Mm-hmm. That could potentially happen 
with uh, with the talks of the of this new Tarantino written directed Star Trek, which who knows when this is actually going to be made. But the idea sounds awful. <laughs> Agreed, hundred percent. I I thought it was just like a spoof when I heard it. Right, which some people are still saying, which I hope it is. Now, if it turns out he's just making this up to like piss off Star Trek uh, fan Trekkies, like yeah. I guess that's cool. Yeah, I think then you know if it is just like a big big rib, then that's kind of cool. Yeah, but it's like. So first of all, I actually like a lot of Tarant. I don't like I don't like all of them, but I like a lot of Tarantino movies. Oh, same here. He's like um, uh, when he's good, he's among my favorites. Agreed, agreed. Um, I actually think uh, my favorite movie his was one of his recent movies, uh, The Hateful Eight. Oh, same here. Just just tremendous. I just totally got geeked up on that movie and just loved it. Love yeah. everything about it. Now, I, I don't see any of his styling working in, in a Star Trek movie to begin with. <laughs> no, because with him, you usually, you know, you either get some nostalgia or, you know, I don't think he's ever worked like futuristic before. No, no. And it's in a so then I'm like, well, people should, uh, you know, maybe get out of their comfort zone and do something different. Mm hmm. So it's like, okay, but then he outright says, you know, that it, what's a hard R and when asked about uh, foul language, he was like, absolutely. And it's like, why does a Star Trek movie or show or Star Trek story have to be a hard R? Yeah, I would think it would be just the opposite. You, yeah. you would think that like this, you know, kind of utopian society well i mean they're explorers and there's absolutely nothing from any of the previous things to give you any indication that any of the crew members would be like foul-mouthed people exactly so you know mate possibly uh scotty and and bones but not to like <laughs> the extent where they're, they'd be dropping f-bombs no no yeah, like, and depending on which, well, is this going to be like original series Star Trek, or is this Next Generation? Or no, yeah, it's a, it's the sequel to the current Star Trek movies. Oh, okay. Oh, that's not a good idea at all. No, it's not fitting whatsoever. And like the original, <laughs> no. the original concept of, of Star Trek is like we've evolved the past, you know, past racism and all these things. So why would all of a sudden the people just be swearing? Yeah, yeah, racism, sexism, any anything like that is supposedly, yeah. you know, all gone in this uh -huh. future thing. Yeah, so I don't want to hear like anyone calling Aurora like the n the n word. <laughs> yeah, referring to herself as that. Just be weird and and bad. Yeah, if he's doing this just to like for the sake of doing it, then don't. Mm -hmm. You know, just because, you know, like, I know the guy, even though I love a lot of his movies, he himself is kind of a knucklehead. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he definitely is. And so if this is just something that he was like, oh, man, wouldn't it be great if this happened? Then don't. Don't do yeah. it. If Spock just, like, started, you know, dropping the F-bomb. <laughs> right, right. Like, live long and fucking prosper, bitch. <laughs> like, yeah, fuck? that wouldn't be good at all. 
Oh. You know, like my Klingon, you know, things like that. Like, no, no, don't do that. Yeah, it's just very out of place. The whole, everything about it doesn't make sense to me. No, no, that, I just, I, I can't, I, I can't fathom how this is, would be good. No, I don't either. So we'll, we'll see if this ever even happens. Even like, you know, if he wanted to like up the, the violence level or something, right, right. you know, you're talking about a group of people that like their prime directive is to try not to mess with other races and, you know, things like that. And mm-hmm. I, I just, I don't know. I just don't see that working in any way. No, it doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense. None of it makes any sense. <laughs> no. Very bizarre. But, I mean, he loves to, you know, rip off, like, 70s stuff, so I don't know. But the Star yeah. Trek is more 60s, I guess. Yeah, and you, you think, like, you know, he couldn't really use the lingo of the time because it was set oh, in the future. Right, it's, that's totally out of place. So it wouldn't really, you know, would make Unless, a lot of sense if you had, like, some kind of hippie vibe going with... Yeah. I just don't get it. Unless he just made his own science fiction movie. Yeah, that would be fine if he did yeah, that. Just, just leave you know, Star Trek Star- alone. Right. It's know? like it's like inspired by Star Trek. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Then that might be interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have like some grittier characters and like you know some psychos and things floating around. Right. So uh, I know, well, that was not a trailer. It was just someone to bring up. But a Dr. Sleep trailer uh, came out. Wow. Uh, I, knew, I didn't even know they were, I knew they were making it, but I didn't even know it was finished or anything. And then here the, the trailer's up. And uh, I have not read the book, but I was very uh, excited by the trailer. Yeah, it just, like, blew my mind. I, I love the book. It's I'm not usually, like, super huge on, on sequels, um, you know, for books that I love. Like, some of them work well, but not always and i think like the only other king sequel that i knew of is um uh the sequel to the talisman which i love except for the ending's the worst thing ever so like i kind of blotted out of my mind mm-hmm. and uh and like when i read doctor sleep like i just absolutely love the book love the characters love you know, Danny, what is it, like 40 years later or 30 years later or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And um, and then when when I watched the trailer, and I was with you, I thought this was something coming like a year or two from now. And then I think it said, what, November it's, it's released? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, uh, November, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, no, totally geeked for this. This looks just excellent from the trailer. Yeah, so uh, that's cool because I've not I've not read the book, so I'm not really familiar with it. But uh, and you have, and we both are, think it looks uh, good. Does does uh, does it look like you envisioned? Like uh, when you read the book, uh, how you envision Danny to look in the Fiola movie? I think so. I mean, like you know, you and uh, McGregor there, like he might be a little more handsome than Danny's, like kind of. Uh, you know, because he's kind kind of had a rough life and stuff, but he does have a little bit of that weathered look. Yeah, you know, and, and he's probably about the same age. Mm-hmm. Has and, uh, there any? Has there any been books that that were like sequels, especially so far apart, that, that were successful? 
Jeez, not that I can think of, Neil. I, I usually if somebody, you know, has a sequel to something, it's usually fairly recent to the original. Yeah, yeah or it's just bad because I know, like, they did the sequel to a Jurassic Park, and I don't think no. that was like a people liked it. <laughs> right, and right. I don't. Yeah, think they people, just crank them out then. Yeah, and I don't think people liked the sequel to the Forrest Gump book. Right. Right. Yeah. Yep. That had fanfare before it came out because then they're like, oh, then they'll make a sequel to the movie. And then, like, the book came out. Like, anyone liked it. No, no. And, and didn't, and, they, didn't they do a sequel to uh, with the the one with Boo Radley there? Oh, Kellen yeah. That was, that was way later, too, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. And I don't, I don't, I remember everyone was talking about, but I don't think it was like something anybody liked. No, I, I think it was wasn't very well received, and and this one, like, what there must be, like a thirty forty year gap between books, right? Yeah, yeah. It'll probably be between movies too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's that's kind of kind of weird. But yeah, when um when I watch a trailer, I don't want to give anything away, but like some of the other characters that you meet in it. Um, like they show certain certain ones in there, and uh, and they look pretty perfect. They look just how how I imagined them from from the book. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah, I'm really really interested. I've got to uh, read the book or listen to the book because I am yeah. an audio. Yeah, find the find the audio. I'm sure it'd be easy. Yeah, I try. I started. Well, actually, I didn't even start. I I <laughs> intended to listen to the Bible. Uh-huh. And then, like I, then I thought about him. Like this is like a thousand hours long. Yeah, that's kind of a commitment. Do I really want to? Like, in theory, it's cool. But then I'm like, ah, I don't know. I think I'd rather <laughs> listen to something else. Yeah, listen to like the uh, the Lord of the Rings or something. That's true. Yeah, it's probably the same amount of time. Yeah, I listen to all of them. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, you know, the 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 um, the, the very uh, little people only remember this book, 1985, the sequel to 1984, was wow. not uh, it's not well received. It didn't. I, I didn't, didn't even exist. know it existed. It, it does, and I just made it up. Oh my god, that's horrible. <laughs> I kind of want to write it now. All right, that'd be awesome. <laughs> So uh, let's see what else uh, I sent you. Th- oh, the other one, Stranger Things. Uh, oh yeah, new Coke. <laughs> yeah, this one. Like, I don't know if it's because I'm maybe I'm jonesing a little bit for the show because it's been a little while since the the last season. Yeah, but like, I love the trailer for this one too. Or maybe I'm just too. in a good mood today. I did too. Look, I, I do. I I don't know why. There's a little couple of things I always like to pick on about uh, Stranger Things, but I really enjoy it. So I don't want mm-hmm. people to think I don't like it. There's just a couple things. There's two things I want to say. One, it's very weird to me that in Stranger Things, the kids can go back to any type of normal life. Oh yeah, after everything happened. True. Yeah. If your buddy is like possessed by like <laughs> by like some interdimensional demon. Mm-hmm. And is like kidnapped to this other world, and like is almost eaten and stuff. I don't know how you just go back and you start, you know, playing video games and D and D again. <laughs> yeah, going to the you prompt. think D and D would probably be a little dull after all that? Yeah, it's like, I, can you really just go and 
get fish fish and chips somewhere <laughs> yeah i don't uh, know that's a good question i don't think so i think it it might be more like um you, you know like um it where everybody moves the fuck away yeah, and they want to forget yeah. everything you know right, right. but but I, I mean i still really enjoy it so i don't i don't want oh to yeah say, I don't like yep. it um and oh, no, I that's like a good those. point, though. That's a definite valid point, too. Yeah. And my one issue with this trailer, even though I thought the trailer was awesome, it has me pumped to see it, is that they played the Who's Baba O'Reilly on this show obsessed with the 80s. Okay, but but let me say, let me just right. say, that being um, a teenager in the 80s uh-huh. and loathing the music of the 80s, uh-huh. I would always tune into some classic rock stations, and I probably would have been listening to the. All right, all right. I understand that in theory, but I mean, you could say the same thing for any era. You could be like, "I'm." I listen to the '70s music in the '90s. So if you make something about the '90s and you're playing a '70s song, it's kind of odd. Well, I gotta say though, because you're usually quick to. You know, to say I've, I'm all 80s out yes, I on am. something like this. So I thought you'd appreciate something like oh, that. Oh, no, I I liked I even thought it worked well in the trailer. Yeah, it did. Even the sounds, like uh, when they're showing the monster and they get the weird sound going on. <laughs> yep. When it's kind of revving up. It's like a very dramatic part of the tune. So, yeah, it totally worked. And the monster looked awesome. It looks like this is like oh. a thing or something. Yeah, that thing looked totally. And then there were some, like people that not familiar with that uh yeah, yeah you know had the, had a definite spooky vibe to them yeah so i'm definitely looking forward to it. look great look great yep. Yep. All, our, all our favorites are back and they're older but they're not yet like like ugly right right they're still kind of dorky looking but right. they can still get away with it because they're still what what do you figure those kids are now? Like all mid teens, fifteen, yeah. sixteen, uh, like something like thirty-five that. or something. Yeah, forty-two. No, like, yeah, yeah, because yeah. yeah, they got they they got real kids for it. Right, right. Probably, probably maybe they might be able to get one more season out of them, and then it's like I don't know. Who knows? I don't know. Maybe you keep going. Why not? Yeah, like if you could do something when they're kind of you know in their twenties or something yeah. like that. I think the secret is you also have to age them in the show. Right. The problem right. with a lot of shows is they want to keep they keep them that age, even though they're you know ten years older. It's like you can't <laughs> still be in high school, for, you know, when the show's been on its ten season. Right. Right. Well, that Those you know, kids are then, you, yeah. <laughs> then you get like you know that happy days thing going on. And exactly. Like, you know, you're still in high school, but you're wearing a toupee. What What's the deal there? <laughs> right. I'm not. You know. Not really buying this. Yeah, yeah. That's a show like uh, I. I think the first season's brilliant. Oh yeah, yep. And after that, it's it's good for I don't know maybe three or four seasons, <laughs> if that. Yeah, it's probably not even that long. Then it's really just kind of shit. <laughs> yeah, and then once once it falls into like the shit land, then it it doesn't even like come close to getting out of that. No, no. I mean that's where we get the term jumping the shark, but. I think I think it really did jump the shark long before Fonz did actually jump the shark. <laughs> oh, without a doubt. Yeah. yeah, that one. That's a show like I think the memories of are better than the show itself. 
I would agree. I would agree. So another uh, Stranger Things thing that I saw today was uh, Burger King's going to have the upside-down Whopper. Oh, what's that? It's literally a Whopper served to you upside-down. <laughs> what's the point of that? It's like, okay, it's kind of funny, it's cute, but can't they could just flip your burger upside down. I mean... So the bottom bun is on the top? Right. Right. So they just make it though. But but see not it's completely upside down. Even the sauce and everything's on the on oh. the they just turn the sandwich upside down. Okay. Couldn't they had there had to be something more clever to put it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know about that one. That's uh What if they accidentally flip your upside down burger upside down, then you get a right side up burger and you're like, I would not demand my money back. Right, right. What is this crap you're trying to serve me? Yeah. Or if you flip it right side up once you get it and then say, wait, wait, what's this you're trying to give me? Yeah. What's this crap? That's not what I ordered. Oh, there is, there is a little different. It's, I didn't realize this. It's served in the (sighs) 1980s era packaging. Oh, which is what? Like those nasty, like styrofoam package? I guess that's the only thing I can think of. Wow. The non-biodegradable, like terrible for the environment, uh. Those things, huh? Yes. Huh. All right. That's There's, maybe shouldn't be something that needs to come back. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, they're they're doing a DoorDash delivery uh, promotion beginning Wednesday for a week. This is on CNNBusiness.com. It will sell a Whopper meal, which includes a small drink and small fries for five bucks on the app, with zero dollar delivery fees. Oh wow. Do you feel like a shithead though, like ordering like a Whopper? And- oh, you'd be the biggest jackass on the planet, I think. Yeah. But you know somebody's gonna do it. Uh, it's gonna be ten dollars. So you'd still know you'd oh, order okay. like two. Oh, is that how much they are? They're five bucks each, so you'd have to order two. But still, oh, okay. ten dollars. Yeah, I know. Oh, well, if you if you do that, anyone up there, make sure you tip you tip your man, you're the guy. You got to. Have you them. done it yet? Have you uh, tried it? No. Okay. No, we don't have DoorDash here in the in in sandwich. We have the other one, or maybe it is DoorDash. I don't know. We have one of them. But you haven't you haven't uh, haven't tried it yet. No, I think it might be DoorDash. And it's like Grubhub. It's not Grubhub. Maybe it is DoorDash. We have one of them anyway. But no, we've not done it yet. Not tried it yet. Because I haven't either. I've never never tried it. It does sound kind of cool though. I like the idea because, yep. especially here, where there's well, the only place it delivers are pizza places. Yeah, and very few. Well, I don't think all of them in town. No, sandwich, no. So. It's, it's uh, good to me and get Chinese delivered. You can get you know anything delivered, but yeah. But I know a lot of places you can get all kinds of delivery anyway. But here you cannot. All I can say is one banana, two banana, three banana, four. Four banana make a bunch and soda many more. Over hill and highway, the banana buggies go. Coming up to bring you the banana split show. What the hell? Whipping up a mess of fun. Lots of fun for everyone. No, you're not singing with me, huh? I don't know the me. I don't know the tune. Oh, all right. Never mind that. (laughs) 
I'm sure we'll it's save the that one for karaoke. All right. Yeah. Oh, by the way, Saturday. I thought you mentioned that. <coughs> Saturday is an exciting day, Neil. This is going to be awesome. Yeah, Umbilicus Desidero, the the Michael Epstein documentary about myself that was filmed by Sophia Cassiola will have its festival premiere a happenstance horror festival in Haverhill, Haverhill, Massachusetts. Oh, that'll be a blast, dude. That, uh, that just sounds so, so cool. Mm-hmm. Very excited. Excited and nervous. I'm nervous that people are like, boo, and just start throwing <laughs> tomatoes. Get the fuck out of here. Just get it all on tape. That's all I ask. No matter I what see. happens. If they, if they run you out on a pole... If they tar and feather you, if they hurl vegetables at you, shoot you with blow darts, whatever they do. Or if they cheer, if they give you a standing ovation, if they bounce you around like a, you know, like a, uh, like a Super Bowl, then get it on tape. Exactly. It's always been my motto. Like, for, well, first of all, if you see me like getting beat or kicked like, <laughs> or, 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 or ridiculed, the first thing is to try to help me. Okay. All right. It's like a choking victim kind of thing. Right. But if for some reason, like you're, you're, you're like, uh, you're frail or you're, you know, you're, you're a chicken or you just don't really care. Uh-huh. That's. At the very least, <laughs> captured on video. Oh, yeah. Yep. Don't just sit there and be like, oh, I mean, if you're not going to call the cops or jump in to help me, at least get it on video so uh, it can live in infamy for eternity. Mm-hmm. That's all I ask. Nope. That sounds, that sounds like a fair deal. Yeah. Cause it would suck to get like beat or, or maimed or ridiculed. <laughs> And then you don't even have a video of it because then it's like, well, man, that was a, what the hell? That nothing. I just got like I got like a broken, you know, limb or yeah. or just covered in like rotten fruit. Yeah, if you're peeling like tar off your body, yeah, going oh, man, I got tarred and feathered. I was the first person in like a hundred years or something. Yeah, I would at least want to be able to, uh, you know, show this. Yeah. Hmm. Although, you know, I, I've always thought, because people do like the kind of joking, like, ha you're going to be tarred and feathered. And they haven't really thought this through, because, like, if you've ever patched a black top, you know, or made a driveway or done anything, have you ever seen, like, hot tar? It's, yeah, it's not it's a good not time. nice stuff. It's it's pretty evil stuff. You know, it's not like they're pouring paint on you and then throwing right. some feathers like on you. Molasses or something. Yeah, yeah. This is like, you know, hot boiling shit that you would protect like a castle under siege with. Right. This isn't something you want to like, you know, just dive into. You don't want a bucket of tar and hop into it. See, this the is fe- stuff that would like peel your skin off, and you know it'd be horrible. Right, the feathers was just to add insult to injury. Right, but the, right. The tar is what's you know that's like 
that's uh, going to destroy you. Yeah, you probably wouldn't survive being tired and feathered. Yeah, and if you did, you're just going to be, you know, uh, like a burn victim for the rest yeah, of the Yeah, yep. So it's a lot more horrible than, like, you know, you kind of see it on, you know, the Three Stooges, like, and it's a waka waka thing, but mm-hmm. it's really probably a lot more serious than that. Right. Well, you know, a lot of that stuff's like either getting poked in the eye or getting, like, a saw over your head. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point, too. Smashing in the face of a hammer. Yep. Did kids back then, like, did, did they, because, you know, later, like, you couldn't do stuff because, like, kids would do it. But back then, did kids just go and beat each other with hammers after watching the Three Stooges? I don't know. I got to think maybe kids were smarter or maybe, like, parents actually talked to kids. Yeah. Or if you then. were, if your kid was that, you know, that much of an imbecile, it was just like, well, little Billy was just a moron. Yeah. That's so why you had, dead. like, six or seven of them. Right. He's dead now. Yeah, he was a big fan of uh, of Shemp. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You know, or he's a murderer now because he loved Mo. Yeah, yep. Or or he watched uh, you know Warner Brothers cartoons. Right. He's dropping pianos on people. Safes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Bad time. I don't know how a little kid would get a safe. Like up like like a hundred stories, but uh, yeah, but just in case, yeah, or a piano, I guess, or an anvil. Yeah, but if if you saw somebody moving one, you know, they were bringing like there was a blacksmith on the top floor of like a, a skyscraper, mm-hmm. you know, and somebody had a crane with uh with a rope with a with a little um you know knot in it that you could just pull and and undo like a like a shoelace, you know, they tied yeah. like a nice little like loop in there or like a little bow, you know, it could happen. Very true. You have you ever seen an animal that, um, we used to have one at the school, really? but it wasn't like a giant anvil. It uh-huh. was, it was probably, I want to say maybe 18 inches long, uh-huh. but I haven't seen like, you know, up close and personal, like a, big giant like dwarven type anvil yeah because i'm wondering like back in the day did they just have anvils all over the place like why why did these why did you know bugs bunny always have an anvil (laughs) it's a good question like the road runner yeah wiley coyote i I don't know maybe chuck jones grew up in like with a blacksmith or something and there were always fucking anvils around the house like yeah Man, Dad, can we get rid of some of these anvils? Like, I could see a piano, especially back, I think probably back then it was probably more common that, like, a family had a piano. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And possibly, you know, the safe. I <laughs> the safe, see. I don't really buy. Uh, you know, uh, like, yeah, a great you big probably giant. saw a safe, but, you know. Unless you're, like, some billion. Even then, like, <laughs> uh, billionaires, like, just keep their the family jewels in this giant safe. I I wish they would. That would be pretty awesome. Wouldn't that be a dead giveaway, too? Like, you broke someone's house? Like, especially <laughs> if they had a normal house and they just had this giant safe, like, in the corner. I'd be like, off. Well, Actually, I'd fake people out. That's true. And you just put, like, a bologna sandwich in Yeah, it. I'd keep all my shit in, like, the fridge. I'd have all the jewels and stuff in there. Good point. But then people would rob your house if they ever found out. that Like, I was delivered papers over at Old Man Smith's <laughs> house and... This fucking uh, giant fucking uh, safe over in the corner. Yeah, what's he got that for? Yeah, something in it. 
Yeah. No problem. That's true. Yeah. So if you have a safe, anybody, I say hide it. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably your best bet. Don't let anyone know you have the thing. Yeah. Forget, you know, flashlights. They, they're like a, it's a rubber vagina that's made to look like a, a flashlight. Mm-hmm. That's what safe should be. Oh, okay. It should, it should in fact be, it looks like a rubber vagina. Cause then no one's going to like, Oh, I'm going to go look in, you know, Bob's rubber vagina. That's you, true. Like that's the last thing you're going to touch. So hide your money in, in your flashlight is the moral of the story. All right. All right. Or no like, one's ever gonna right. Yeah. No Nobody's one's going to go climbing in there. Right. Right. I mean, it's that they do. They're like some, you know, real wretched human beings. <laughs> That's true. Right. Speaking of which, we Uh-oh. actually have, uh, oh, we did. I think we lost. Is Craig still on the line here? Oh, we must have lost Craig. I'm sorry, Craig. Call back in. But yeah, I went to go to Craig called in. Took his call. Uh-huh. We're just on. A, if you call in and we're talking, we'll just uh, finish whatever the hell we're rambling about and then we'll get to it. <laughs> yep. Sometimes you got to be a little patient because, like, when we get off on a good rant, yeah, it could be a while. Get a yeah. sandwich, you know, just relax. Exactly. So the Dead Don't Die opens. Well, it might have opened tonight, but it opens Friday officially. It used nice. to be movies open Friday, and every so often some of, those, some of those movies would have a sneak preview on Thursday. It would be at midnight. Yep. And then it became, they would, now it's just like they open Friday, but really they just open Thursday. Yeah, you're right, because they're showing them at 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock on a Thursday. It's not a sneak peek. It's not like, you know, oh, we're breaking curfew. It's just, that's when these movies come out now. Just stop. Yeah, it's it's, it's lies. Yep, it is. It is, because at one time you felt like, you know, kind of special. Like, man, we're getting to see this shit at midnight. You know, before Friday. Exactly. And now it's like, you know, you can go to the matinee on Thursday. There's nothing special about it. Yeah, it's just like, it's like breaking street date. It's like uh, back yep. in the day, a movie came out on DVD or, or VHS tape on a Tuesday. And maybe you live by, you know, a shady video store and they put it out on Monday. Yeah, yeah. But then, then you'd get those like... You know, police that that would work right. for, you know, the big blue empire. Right. Fuck. Fuck blockbuster. Yep. And they drop a dime. They'd be mm-hmm. like, "Hey, old man Smithers is uh, breaking street date." Exactly. He's got the new uh, full moon movie coming out on Monday. Puppet Master Six. Yep. Michael Epstein would be going over there. He'd be like, "God damn, I got to see this this new Puppet Master." And it'd be a sting. They'd be like mm-hmm. grabbing a poor bastard and holding yep. them down. Mm-hmm. Charles Band jumps out of the bushes. Yep, yep. He probably wouldn't care, but the but the you know, now he'd probably be there. happy. Be like, yeah, who man? Yeah, you know, do it exactly. a day early. I don't care. And yeah, what did what what did this all get them out of business? They put yep. everyone out of business, and then they got put out of business by Netflix. I did yep. not feel bad the day Blockbuster folded because they folded everybody else. Yep, no sympathy whatsoever for them. And no one stood up and like, hey, let's put, let's, you know, because then after a while they were like, well, we're not going to put the movies 
right to Netflix. When they come out on DVD, we're going to hold them off a month so people rent them somewhere else or buy them. Where were they doing that when, when Blockbuster was big? They didn't say, hey, oh, yeah. we're going to give these movies to the mom and pop shops. Yeah, to give them a chance. Nope, that never nope. happened. Yeah, like, fuck that. They, they, <laughs> yep. they don't care. Yep, poor bastards. No, no, don't care. Yep. Don't want to hear it. Yeah, I, I never, I was never a fan of the Blockbuster. Plus, they didn't even have, like, a lot of, like, the wacky movies. I know, they, they, you know, if you wanted your mainstream thing, you were all right, but yeah, it was like that was 5, about 000. it. Yeah, there's like 500 copies of the new Sandra Bullock movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You want the new rom-com? We're good to go. Oh, man, Blockbuster. But I do, you know, it's weird, though. I know, I, like everyone says, I miss the, the video store, and I do. But let's be honest, if they were, if one opened down the street, who the hell would go to it? That's true. It's it's like now you see those what are they the red box things mm-hmm. and how often to use those. Yeah, I do every once in a while, not really that much. Yeah, even though yeah. I think it's it's like a buck seventy nine or something. Yeah, it's it's not a bad deal at all. Like you know, and you don't really bat an eye when you like renting on yeah, you know the cable bucks. or something. Yeah. yeah, for five bucks or sometimes they're like ten bucks. It's yeah, crazy. If it's like a movie that's like out of theater now. So sometimes they're twenty if they're that. Yeah. Sometimes I, it's like I could go buy this DVD for cheaper than you rent it. <laughs> I know, I know that's true. But you want to get it like you know before everybody else. It's like exactly. going to the movie on Thursday. Mm-hmm. So. What else? Well, I was going to say something about that, but not that. oh, one thing that to, for my for my personal like collection that's that's hurting the sales of Blu-rays to me mm-hmm. is the the fact that many of them do not have commentary tracks anymore. Oh, true, and that that is annoying as hell. Like, mm-hmm. there's nothing, you know, the commentary tracks, and then like. You know, maybe some bloopers or something goofy like that. I love that jazz. Yeah, um, I really like commentary tracks. I like to turn them on when I'm doing something else because I don't have to necessarily pay attention to the movie. Right, but, right. You know, I can learn about the movie that I like. Uh, I love commentary tracks. I've learned a lot about uh, several movies watching. I've actually, I think, uh, grown to like movies more or appreciate them more through yeah. commentary tracks. And what also sucks is they started to do this on Netflix. That's why I canceled the DVD part is uh, the rental portions will not have any specials. Even if the movie, if you bought bought the movie, it would have specials. Oh, really? See, yeah. I didn't even know that. Which I wow. guess the idea is to get people to buy the, buy it instead of renting it. Uh-huh. Which makes sense to me. But at the same time, a lot of stuff doesn't have anything anymore. Unless you get something through, like, one of the, uh, um, a lot of the cool companies that, uh, like, you know, put out older movies, like Arrow. Yep. Or Blue Underground. Yeah, I'm sure the Criterion still does too. Right, but just like the run in the middle stuff, they don't have shit. I'm just asking for a commentary track. I want to hear the director and the actors talk about this shit. Yeah, because I'll tell you, when it comes to like, especially if it's a movie really, really dig. Oh yeah. Like I don't mind paying some. You know, like I, huh. I got the Criterion from like. Uh, uh, you know, the seven samurai mm-hmm. and it's got like friggin' 
five discs on the thing. There's more behind-the-scenes stuff and, you know, commentary jazz and all that the stuff. And, and I love it. Like, I eat that up like candy. Yeah. You know, maybe I don't care if it's something that, you know, you're kind of like, eh, it was I eat, you know. Right, like Ocean's 8. Yeah, yeah. Then I probably, you know, wouldn't be buying, like, the six-disc uh, set for that thing. Right, which I've not seen. Maybe it's fantastic. but Yeah, it could be. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen an Ocean's movie. I really was like, God damn, that was good. I've not seen all the Ocean's movies, so, I, I, you know, it's maybe unfair. <laughs> I think I've I've watched one, and yeah. I saw the old one with the Rat Pack, and I hate that movie too. I don't know. I don't think I've ever seen the original. No, oh, it's terrible. It was just a bunch of friends getting together and like, you know, watching Frankie get drunk and stuff. Uh-huh. Well, it was probably probably was Dino getting drunk, but you know, they sat around drinking martinis. Yeah, I think I'm gonna start dressing like the Rat Pack. It's kind of like, I think that would be kind of cool. I think I think it would be a good look for me. Better than dressing like eight. Shemp Howard. I don't know. I kind of. I I think Shemp's the most underrated of all all the Stooges. He gets every. Which I do like Curly too, but I think people. It's like they don't even consider him a Stooge, but he's great. Yeah, More give Shemp some loving. Yeah. yeah. The anyone after that is the shits. Curly oh, yeah. Joe and stuff, and Joe, fuck them. Yeah, once once you get away from like you know the Horowitz brothers, once you start getting into like these other goofs, like don't don't do it. Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. keep it in the family. There, uh-huh. you got a Feinstein and you know the Horowitz boys, and that's that's as far as it should go. Exactly. Although, truth be told, I'm not a fan. I am never. Never like the Three Stooges, but and never remake it. It's like, oh god, that was the worst. Like they always get this idea, like we're gonna redo the Three Stooges. Like this is comedy that's a hundred years old. <laughs> yeah, how is it gonna be relevant today? No, no, you don't. Yeah, don't don't make a new group of Marx Brothers. Don't you right. know? Yeah, they don't do that. They're like, oh, Costello or, you know, anything like that. You could do a movie about them. Oh, yeah. That'd be interesting. Yep. Yeah, why don't they? No, no, Jackass, just because I'm the the new Marx Brothers. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Like, what? No, you're not. We already Mm -hmm. had some Marx Brothers. Stop. I'm Buster Keaton 2020. Right, right, exactly. Makes no sense. No, no. And you can watch that old stuff and enjoy it, but if you just all of a sudden start doing comedy that's a a, a, hundred, a century old, it's going <laughs> to yep. look ridiculous. Oh, exactly. I mean, you can put, pay tribute to something like that. You can, you know, as I've said before, you kind of, you know, get a little bit of that, you know, Lou Costello thing sometimes when you're doing your videos, uh-huh. which is a great thing. It's, uh-huh. it's awesome. You know, but I'm not. I'm not telling you that you should like act like. Yeah, I'm Lou Costello. Lou now. Costello, right, right, right. The three I could be your Bud Abbott. People. You know, it's like no, no, you're not. Stop. <laughs> yeah, the three Stooges were real people. Yep. Obviously, there were there were guys playing these characters. <laughs> we can't just all of a sudden I'm now these guys. Yep. 
those it's, it never works yet they try oh. to do it all every like decade or something like let's try this again this time it's gonna work I know I, I don't I don't get it because like nobody like you said um, you don't see somebody going well instead of making uh, like a you know reinvent uh, like a Sam Spade movie nobody goes out and says well you know I'm gonna be Humphrey Bogart in this movie mm-hmm. like no right. no you're not stop that you know maybe you're gonna play a character that Bogart played right you're in, like you said inspired by this yeah. guy you just can't just all of a sudden and you start acting like an actor <laughs> like yeah. from a hundred years out, ago hey it's nice to see you sweet dad you know? yeah no don't like, do that it'd be so out of place because people act totally different then yep it was you know it, it works if you're watching me from that era Oh, yeah. You couldn't just yep. act like that today. People think, man, this guy fucking sucks. <laughs> right, right. Fuck you wrong with think him. of anything new to do, bud. Yeah. yeah, you would just be a bad actor today if you. Yeah, were. exactly. Like, why is this guy doing a bogey impression? I don't fucking get it. <laughs> or just even the style of acting. Yep. That would be pretty awesome, though, if somebody did that. Like, uh, you know, somebody shows up, like. Um, Edward uh, Norton shows up and he's uh-huh. just acting like Humphrey Bogart for some right. role. Yeah. It's just so bizarre. So tomorrow night, I'm going to be up in the Boston area. Mm. Everyone just calls everything Boston. You know, any, any, any place like <coughs> bad enough. They, you know, like Revere, Brookline, all these places, they just say they're Boston. They're not really Boston. But I see people even say, like, Worcester is Boston, and that's just getting, like, insane because that's, like, over an hour away from Boston. True. That's like saying, I live in Boston here on Cape Cod. Yep, yep. But anyway, in the Boston area in Brookline, Coolidge Corner Theater, Coolidge After Midnight. I'm a huge fan. I haven't been almost in probably almost a year. The last time I was there was... um. Man who made Maniac was there. Uh, Maniac Cop Two. Was, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's I remember beautiful. that? That was a while ago. Yeah, but I'm gonna be in the area. I'm gonna be uh, spending the, like a few couple days of the weekend there. And uh, so I, I looked. I was like, I wonder what's playing at midnight. And this movie I've never heard of in my life. Houseu is, the, I believe, the Japanese title. It's called House. Okay. So here is the write-up. How to describe? Nope. Nobuhiko Obayashi's 1977 movie House as a psychedelic ghost tale, a stream of consciousness bedtime story, an episode of Scooby-Doo is directed by Dario Argento. Whoa. Any of the above will do for this hallucinatory head trip about a schoolgirl who travels with six classmates to her ailing aunt's creaky country home only to find, only to come face to face with evil spirits, bloodthirsty pianos, and a demonic house cat. Wow! And when was this movie made? 1977. I was one year old. Damn. Too ah. absurd. Go on. I'm sorry. No, no. I, I just, I can't believe I've never even heard of this. Movie. I know. It's, it's wild. I love to go see these uh, weird cult movies, and then Yo, one I've never, never seen or even heard of is going to be a cool experience. Oh, yeah. Continuing with the write-up, too absurd to be genuinely terrifying, yet 
too nightmarish to be merely a comedy. How seems like it was beamed to Earth from another planet. Or perhaps a mind of a child as the director fashioned the script after the eccentric musings of his 11-year-old daughter. Then employed all the tricks of his analog arsenal, mats, animation, and collage to make them a visually astonishing, raucous reality. Huh. Wow. No, never... Never even heard of that one. Uh, me neither. Me neither. My friend Michael Epstein, our friend Michael Epstein, the, the world's friend Michael Epstein, he mm-hmm. said he's seen it many times and it's amazing. Oh, well, that sounds that sounds awesome, man. That's a batshit crazy in a good way. <laughs> man, Obayashi made like a ton of movies. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I've ever seen an Obayashi movie. No. And the most recent one's 2017. Oh really? So he's still he's still we're still making them here up until Yeah. I think he's still kicking around. Nineteen thirty eight he was born. Oh. Cool. That's pretty awesome. Good for him. Yeah. So this is gonna be very an uh, interesting experience. Oh yeah, that should be a blast. So there is animation. I'm looking at like stills and like I guess there's like weird animation in this movie. Nice. Oh, that should be a good time then. Yeah. Right. So I'm looking forward to this. Maybe I'll take some gimmicks with me to get into the, the mindset of this movie. Ooh. I don't have like mushrooms. I, I don't do that kind of stuff. Okay. Where did I hear? Did, was it Denver? Was it Colorado that just legalized mushrooms? Well, yeah, I did see something about that. I don't know if they, oh. if, they, if, they, if they went through it with it yet or they wanted to. Oh, okay. Maybe that's their plan. That's their next thing. Yeah. But why the hell not? Exactly. Exactly. Hmm. Interesting. So I'm gonna have I'm gonna have a good time. Oh, without a doubt, I think. Now did you know that Anthony Bredain wrote a uh, a comic book? A horror No. Comic? Yeah, Hungry Ghosts. Huh. Well, I'm learning some stuff tonight, boss. Yeah, and so they're making it into an animated uh, uh, cart- uh, an animated anthology. Oh, sweet. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, it's very exciting. Probably take a while to make, I would imagine. I would think so. But I'm looking forward to it. Oh, yeah. Very exciting. No, see, I never knew he did anything outside of, like, you know, just his normal things, you know. Yeah, me neither. So I'm looking forward to seeing this. Good stuff. Sounds interesting. Without a doubt. Yeah. Oh, uh, this is this isn't a real. Um, well, the the real the trio trailer is out, and I've seen people like saying it looks it looks like shit. It looks awesome, but honestly, I don't think you can have any opinion whatsoever from the trailer. And that's uh, three from hell. Oh. Exactly. Yeah, like I, I was all excited when I saw the trailer, and then it was only I think fifty seconds long or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so like it just shows some clips from from uh, House of a Thousand Corpses and from Devil's Rejects, and really nothing from the new movie. So like I don't know why this took so long and had a countdown to put out. He literally could have made it when he announced he made the movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't see. Uh, 
yeah, why it would have taken long to do. And, and like, uh, you know, it still makes me want to see it, but not really because of that. Yeah. You know, not from the trailer. Uh-huh. But I, I got to say, in a way, it's kind of refreshing to see a trailer like that. Because sometimes when you get a trailer that's like three and a half minutes long and it shows you like 90% of the movie, like you get the entire gist of, I mean, they're even showing you the swerves and like, uh, you know, spoilers in the trailer. It's like, I don't know if we really need that much of the movie. No, that that's, that is, that's a good point. Cause I think they give away too much in, in trailers. I ra- I would rather go in not know not knowing much at all. Yeah, me too. Me too. Give me just a little bit of it. You know, just yeah. wet my appetite for it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But uh, so this one though, I'm not even I'm not I'm not even really complaining about it. I just think right. it's weird that that they, they've like it took so long to put out. They even had like a countdown like. It was like weeks away, mere months, <laughs> and then it comes oh, out. Yeah. And so it's like what? And then it's weird. I'm fine with it because I, I don't want to know much about it. But it is weird that anyone would have any type of like basis of an opinion on the movie based off of it. Oh, very true. Like I, I don't see how you could if you uh, if you watch that, like how it would change your opinion at all, whether you wanted to see it or didn't want to see it. Right. You'll be like, man, this looks like shit. I don't get it. Like, yeah, it doesn't look like much because, like, it's really not much. I think you might get, like, a new picture of Sid. Sid looked uh, older in in the one little, but, I mean, he's on the screen for, like, two seconds. Mm Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. All right. So I also want everyone to go and check. I'm going to post some on Without Your Head, too. Do some cross-promotion here, but... Nice. Um, I did a bunch of interviews for Dances with Film, Dances with Films Film Festival, which is happening tonight. Is the, is this is the kickoff of the of the uh, of the festival? Where where does that take place? In Los Angeles, Hollywood. Oh, it's at the uh, the the world famous um, Chinese Theater. Oh, perfect! And so you can go and check these out. On insideyourhead.club. I'm also going to post them on the Without Your Head website. But uh, subscribe to the uh, you know iTunes or Google Play or Spotify, however you like to get your podcast to get these as they come out. Uh, so up right now is Adrian Barbeau's interview from Appleseed, which debuts tonight. Sweet. Uh, we also have uh, writer and director Michael Felker and producer Jory Richmond of would you like to try again? Mm. Which is a short film uh, about uh, an old arcade, which is very cool. And there's like kind of a magical game that they play, which lets her go back and redo things that she uh, regrets. Oh, cool. I like that. I like the concept. Yeah, it's kind of a Twilight Zone kind of episode. Yep. Uh, John Cerrito, who did uh, The Way You Look Tonight, which is, I, exp- I really think that one is a very Twilight <laughs> A film that's a feature film, mm-hmm. and it's really he called it magical. I think it's kind of science fiction, magical works too, you know, however you want to say it. Now, it's basically a rom com, which isn't necessarily what I'd be into, but it has a totally different element uh, in it, which makes it very uh, Twilight Zone to me because 
it's using it's like a, a parable for social for a social uh, for social commentary of today. Mm-hmm. I don't want to give it away, but I really liked it a lot. Oh, that that sounds cool too. Uh, Glenn Payne and Casey Dillard of Driven, which was a really cool uh, horror comedy uh, about uh, about a uh, I, I don't want to say Uber because it's a, a rideshare driver, so either Uber, Lyft, that kind of deal. Who uh, she picks someone up. Uh, they gave away this part. It's a little bit of a twist in the movie, but it is early in the movie. You think maybe this guy's like a serial killer. Turns out he's hunting demons, and then it becomes kind of a buddy a buddy movie where they're hunting demons together. Excellent movie. It's very funny, very well made. Uh, I really dug it, so I, I hope people uh, check that one out. And then I'm going to post this later tonight. It is up if you already subscribed to the iTunes, but the uh, the link will actually be up on inside your head that club here momentarily. And that is Samantha Fox and a store of wowzers. Fucking awesome. I'm a huge fan of this, this movie. I like uh, weird surrealist stuff. Um, it's, it's a short movie, but it's like 37 minutes. So almost feature length. I'm not even sure. I, I know it's technically short. I'm not sure what you call it, but, um, I really liked it. It's a movie. I would recommend, not doing anything else while you're watching. You don't want to, uh, you know, be on your phone or texting your buddy. You want to be uh, emerged in the film, in the in the uh, the uh, the visuals and the in the sounds. Good stuff. It's even hard to explain. It's a very dreamlike. It's got a David Lynchian movie. Again, try to go in without even really knowing a lot about it or listen to the uh, to the interview. I loved it. It's a really a movie that that I, that I dig. It's, it's comedic, but it's strange. A lot of um, uneasy uh, feelings in the in the movie. Dug it. Also, this one's for the ladies. Interviews up, which is not at the film festival, but it debut, it makes its premiere this weekend in uh, in LA as well. And that's with director Gene Graham and lesbian dominatrix dancer Blaze. And uh, they're talking about the NC seventeen male stripper documentary. This one's for the ladies, which uh, excellent. So if you're into all that stuff, go and check it out. Uh, this one's for ladies, the documentary. The rest of them are, uh, I would say, genre films. Uh, maybe not the Adrian Barbeau one. That's pretty much a straight up uh, uh, drama. But uh, I liked it a lot. So check out the, and, uh, the Adrian Barbeau. We also talked about Carnival and Creep Show and Swamp Thing and a bunch of other stuff. So check those out on Inside Your Head dot club. So if you can't get enough of Nasty Neil, go to Inside Your Head and you can hear me interview people uh, from independent film, from TV shows, from uh, game shows, whatever it is I find interesting, I'll talk about. It's kind of long-form interviews, and I have fun on the show. So if you just want to hear me talk and uh, do interviews, there's really no other uh, discussion on the show besides interviews. And uh, conversations with with uh, interesting people, so uh, check that out. So you go to withoutyourhead.com, which you're there right now if you're listening to this. Subscribe to us on the iTunes, and also rate us and comment. Leave a comment, give us you know a, a thumbs up or five star rating, however that works. Follow us on Twitter at Without Your Head. Go and join the Facebook group. It's facebook.com/group/slash Without Your Head Horror. 
Uh, follow us on the Twitter at Without Your Head. Subscribe to us on YouTube at Without Your Head. There's going to be a bunch of new videos coming up. And hopefully a video show will be uh, popping up there eventually. Ooh, that'll be kind of cool. Yeah, you can uh, you can uh, friend both of us on, on the uh, Facebook page. Just go and join the group, and then you can uh, find us right there. Mm-hmm. So it will not be a live show next week because I will not be here. And what are your plans? Let me let me get all the. Uh... So next Thursday in Somerville at the Somerville Media Theater, uh, there's going to be a free screening of the original Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, that'll be great! Yes, and then after that, there will be a panel of um, film historians, including myself, Nasty Neil. Very nice. As a, as they say, an actor, I don't know what else, but, uh, but I'll be there uh, with, um, I think some of the people have changed, but it'll be a group of people, and we're going to talk about the movie and take questions from, from the audience, and that will be filmed for, uh, for television. Oh, very nice. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this. A big, I'm very honored to have been asked. Oh, yeah, cool. that'll be a great time. Yeah, now, I where, where is that again? That is in Somerville. Oh, very nice. Yeah, so I wasn't like uh, I demanded. I was like, hey, put me on the stage. She asked me. <laughs> yeah, Troy Minkowski. So uh, if you're named Troy, I think you're a pretty cool guy in my book. Yeah, yep, yep. The Troys have been good. Exactly. All right. So, but, uh, you know, there'll probably be uh, an interview popping up anyway, or maybe we'll do the show Wednesday. We don't, I don't know. We'll figure it out. Or possibly we'll just take the week off. But, Anyway, we won't be here live on Thursday next week. Okay. Give me the night off. I'll have to go and exactly. do something crazy. Exactly. All right, Troy. Well, I had a good time. What do you think? As did I, my friend. I, I can't really think of too much else going down. Um, just another thing with the uh, Stranger Things. We, we saw there's a bunch of um, Stranger Things. uh I think that what they were Dungeons and Dragons related things at Newberry Comics, which was pretty cool. Uh huh. Um, oh yeah, a, Newberry Comics is a cool place. Is that is that around the is that around the country? Or is that only a New England thing? I, that's a good question. I mean, I know it started in Boston, but I don't know if it's if it's everywhere. Somebody on the Facebook, let us know, like if Newberry Comics is. Uh, in your area, because we don't know if it's just like a mass thing or, yeah, or not. Exactly. Yeah, it's cool. It's a cool place. You get a lot of neat stuff. Oh yeah, yep. Always have a ton of fun looking around in there. Yeah, I also wanted to mention a creepy company. Uh, they yeah. make some. They uh, and I have. They're not giving me free stuff to say this, but I really like they the should. website. They should. They make a lot of really <laughs> cool uh, uh, shirts that that I love. Um, I just put on EC comic style, uh, button shirt, which is just amazing. So every Thursday this month, they're putting out a new button shirt. So last oh, awesome. week it was, yeah, last week was EC comic ones tonight. I couldn't believe this, this happened, but there's a hand of glory shirt. The hand of glory. If people don't know out there is the, is the candelabra hand from wicker man, the original wicker man. 
So that's on their shirt? Yeah. A button shirt. I've never thought oh, I would live to man. see the day. Now that's a that's just that's <laughs> that's totally badass. Props to them for that. Yeah, so that's out. I didn't get it yet. If anyone else wants to give me a gift, uh, yeah. a two X handlebar button shirt. Sweet. Wow. I will say the shirt's a little on the s- smaller side. Oh, are they? But, uh, yeah, but they're still very nice. Oh yeah, yep. Yeah, I remember that's the one when when uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, Edward Woodward is sleeping and. And he finds it on on the uh, the coffee table, right? Like yes, yes. His bed, yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, who? I never thought. Like, uh, I hope it sells well. It sounds very obscure. Like, I know I dig it, and for oh, their people, yeah, yeah. I don't. It's because they also make like Friday Thirteenth and stuff like this. I don't know. You know, if there's a giant. I hope there. I hope there is. I hope. Oh, uh, I hope it does. Yeah. Or maybe it's a limited run too. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But, you know, the, the people that are going to get them are definitely going to love them, I bet. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's sweet. I bet it, I bet it doesn't last long because I, I wouldn't assume they make a whole bunch of them. No, I wouldn't think. Yeah, so if you want it, go get it now. Do right. it! Right. <laughs> do it, do it, kid. Oh, by the way, uh, I haven't played this for a while, but go to um, our shop on Amazon, uh, the Without Your Head shop on Amazon. And uh, lots of cool shirts. We have a shirt of all the different um, B movie monsters that uh, that we did care Troy did characters of this year, and they're awesome. Everybody, everybody definitely seems to like those. Yeah. yeah in the calendar this month, you see that it's um, what is it the the creature that challenged the world? Oh yes, yes. The giant worm thingy. Uh, which someone apparently uh, was was accused of like it was like some kind of like sexual deviance or something having it up on the wall, but I don't know. People <laughs> a little bit crazy, I think, with that. Yeah, everybody gets a little, yeah, little too high strung with things. From yeah, time. and we'll have some new stuff coming out in the horizon on the horizon. Oh yeah, yep. Um, even as we speak, I've been working on. Uh, the first in a new series of things. Oh, nice. Actually, someone today just bought a shirt. Oh, really? Yeah. They bought uh, number uh, style number four, which is uh, the alien one there. Oh, good. Very Love cool. that one, too. Yeah. Huh. Well, thank you. I don't know who did it, but thank you for buying one. They are very sweet. I have many myself. I'm, I, I don't know if they fit it. They fit me anymore, but oh yeah, I'm you might have to get some new ones, Chief. Yeah, not complaining. But yeah, that's um, that's a lot of fun. I, I enjoy doing those, and uh, and I'm glad everybody seems to like them. Yeah, yeah, I am as well. I love them. Yep. All so right, that's about all I got to report. All right, let's get the hell out of here. There's stuff going on. You got travels to happen and places to go. Exciting things for the weekend. Exactly. Exactly. All right, Troy. I had a great time. As did I. And I wish you the best on your premiere. That should be a blast. It will be. I'm very much looking forward to it. So if you're you're there, watch it. Let me know what you think, but only if you liked it. <laughs> yeah, otherwise keep your opinion to yourself. Right. Or or just lie and tell me like this. <laughs>
<laughs> no, true. no, beyond. All right, so till, till next time. I don't know when it'll be, but it will. There will be a next time. This <laughs> is Nasty Neil, and this is Terrible Troy, and this is without your head. <laughs> <laughs> Ha 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 ha!